If you have your Bibles, I want you to take that and open it to the book of 1 John. We're in chapter 5. If you've been with us uh, over the last few weeks, we have been walking through uh, John's letter to the church. And he's letting us know what it means to belong to God and to see what it means for us to live as a people who belong to God. I'm going to make a confession to you. Historically, I have not been a pet person. I'm anti-pet. I'm still anti-cat. If you are opposed to that, I apologize for you having a cat. If you, honestly, let's just think through this. If you have a cat, have you ever thought about what it would be like to not have a cat? Uh, (laughs) They're interesting creatures altogether. Uh, We are... At our home, we have a dog. He happens to live there, and he sort of kind of, I get it. I think that I'm with you most of the time. There are people who like dogs, and then there are the really, really dog people. People who buy their dog's costumes and such. You can work through that. People who can't leave their house because they're afraid something will happen to their dog. Well, of course, it's a dog. So, But regardless, I am... Uh, on the internet recently, and I come across a meme that really stood out to me, and it stood out to me in regard to you and in regard to me. And you can look and you can see the difference in dogs and cats. You see that the dog, that's a Weimaraner, not to be confused with a Vishla, which is what runs our house. Uh, you love me, you pet me, you feed me, you must be God. Now, if that capitalized G bothers you, it, all of the letters are capitalized. It's as if this meme is screaming at me. And then you have the cat who looks at the world and says, you love me, you pet me, you feed me. Either God is God or you are. How are you really treated any differently? Either you believe the entirety of existence is there. To serve you or that you have been made part of something bigger. Our theme for today as we walk through these these verses is that Jesus is life. Three words, Jesus is life. And we'll see how those verses break down and that concept runs through the totality of our text in 1 through 13. That Jesus is life. But let me just read the scriptures over us. One of my favorite things that I get to do every week is read the Bible because I believe the scriptures are authoritative and without flaw. I don't believe my interpretation always is. So this is way more important than anything that I'm going to say about it. Born of him. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey his commands. For this is what love for God is to keep his commands. And his commands, they're not a burden. Because everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. Who is the one who conquers the world? But the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and blood, not by water only, but by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. If we accept human testimony, God's testimony is greater because it is God's testimony that He has given us about His Son, about His Son. 
And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life, this life is in his son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this is life is in his son. The one who has the son has life. The one who does not have the son of God does not have life. I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. Again, either God is God or you are, and your godness has limits. The way that we function as people who would seek to make ourselves known as gods, it comes with its limitations. We live in a world where we like to be independent people. We are pick ourselves up by our bootstraps and we tell as if we have those. And we tell everyone around us that we can take care of ourselves. We provide for ourselves. We do what needs to do. We make sure that money is in the right investment places. We function as little G gods at times. Thinking that, and thinking that if... Things really, really get bad. We've made it so that we can get through. The reality is that any of that can be taken away at any moment. Anything can be removed from our our existence at any moment. Anything that we need can be taken from us. And we are in this situation. We are living out this notion that we would be functioning as if we can care for ourselves completely when God is actually the one who provides for us, who cares for us, who loves us. And I mean, in the general sense, every person on this earth is cared for by God. That we have oxygen to breathe. If there's food for us to eat. We then look into this text and we see that Jesus is life. And you'll notice as you walk through it that John is just affirming what he has said in other places in the scriptures. Jesus actually says in John's gospel, direct quote, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. That is not a limited, finite experience that Jesus is referring to. I am the way, the truth, and the life. John has also said it. He said, in Jesus is light, and that light is the life of men. But let's take ourselves for just a second to the church at Ephesus, which is whom John is writing this letter to. He is drawing lines on the distinction between the people who completely belong to God and those who don't. There are those who belong to God. There are those who would turn and see that their only hope is that they are not God and that there is someone greater. And there are those who do not believe that. Now it gets a little muddy and muddled in southern culture Christianity or really Texas culture Christianity because if you're not from Tex- if you're from somewhere else in the south, we know that Texas is not the south, it's Texas. It lives in and unto itself as a nation, a sovereign nation within our 50 states. But Southern culture, Texas culture, Christianity is that everyone in some way, shape or form, uh, kind of has an idea as to who God is, God and country. But the issue with that is, that creates a God that is different than the one that we actually see in the scriptures. And we have to look to the scriptures for this. 
John's drawing this line and he's going to point out this necessity of, of what it means for us to be on mission with God that we cannot miss. This passage is going to do a work in the heart of a believer that I don't want us to overlook or to undervalue. Because God's going to offer to assure true believers of your salvation. Now when we say something like that, you may think, well, I've been a Christian my entire life. The fact of the matter is, it is a tad bit of a yellow flag if you've ever expressed to someone you've been a Christian your entire life. Because being a follower of Jesus means there comes a point where you realize you are not God and that your sin will separate you from God forever. To be a Christian your entire life is a miss of the whole of what Scripture teaches because coming to faith in Christ is not just a luxury, it is a necessity for the believing person. Scriptures. First, we see this, that this life that Jesus gives, His life is our direction. We see that in verses 1 through 4. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. The word believe is, is doing a tad bit of a different work when John uses it than when we use it. Because we are prone to exchanging belief for fulfilled wishes. When John talks about belief, it is interchangeable with the word trust. There's an active aspect to it. Everyone who trusts that Jesus has been born of God, that Jesus Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. We see that John is pointing out the notion of trust. Well, why else? They have walked away from the church that God has created and that is present in in this passage and in numerous other passages in the New Testament. And there's something else that they believe in. They have forsaken the idea that Jesus is the Christ. They were deconstructing before deconstruction was cool. They were walking away from the faith when it was fresh and new. And John looked and to encourage a believing people who loved those who had been in their midst and who had cared for them, as as we said last week, had held their babies, had shared meals with them. He is saying, look, if they don't believe this, they're not Christians. If we do not believe that Jesus Christ is the only hope, not only for ourselves, but of the world, We are not Christians. You can be living in the realm of lateral goodness where you compare against other people and you're better than them. But if you do not believe that the only hope of the world is Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, you are not a Christian. If you do not believe that Jesus is God, you are not a Christian. These are central to what we believe. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father also loves the one born of Him. So here John is going to take us to the notion that a love of God should direct the way that we love others. This is how we know that we love God's children. When we love God and obey His commands, the commands of God for the believer 
directly affect the way that we treat other believers. This is how we know. Not, and, and in this, we are not saying those that we like the most. We are to love Christian people. We are to love other followers of Jesus. And it should affect the way that we interact in every setting that we're in. In this sense, we are to love other believers. But it's not just when we're in this sense. It's when we get beyond this space. Because some of you work with other people in the room. And what does your interaction with that other person look like there? Not here. Not when you're walking into this space. How does it affect there? How does it affect BASF? How does it affect Dow Chemical? How does it affect the school that you teach at? How does it affect other believers where you happen to be beyond this place of that? For us to have the audacity to say that we love God and not learn to love the people who belong to God is a compromise of what it means to be a believer. What are you even saying if you say that you love God? If you're not loving the people whom God loves. Think beyond our spaces. Think about what this text is saying about God. Your love for God does not make him a better God. God is not sitting in heaven hoping, just praying. I just wish that one would love me. Do you know what I could do if that one would have an abstract affection for me? Seminary was tricky for me. It was 20 years ago that I graduated from seminary. When people who were on the campus were girls. There were no girls there. Just We were outnumbered dramatically. The boys were outnumbered. Rather, rather, the girls were outnumbered by the boys, like probably 27 to 1. If you needed a date, tough luck, pal. But... I can also remember meeting new people. I had a roommate one semester, and I was young in my just figuring out life stage. And I remember telling him at one point that I paid just as much for that apartment to be dirty as he did for it to be clean. (laughs) That logic doesn't work at my house anymore. I can remember going into the dorms. I never lived in a dorm But I walk in once and thought, though I've never lived in one, there are some of these people who have never left it. The kids would say they need to touch grass. Just sitting inside, reading books, absorbing books. Never interacting with a human being. The scriptures seem to be saying that the faith of a believer is more than just what we know in the abstract or how we understand this text or that. To be a follower of Jesus means that we love people and to obey the commands of God is to love people. For this is what love, the love of God is, to keep His commands. And His commands, they are not a burden. Now this is a growing thing. Because there are moments for me still where I believe that the, the commands of God strike me as a burden. You want me to do what? I need to have lunch with that person? I need to, what is it that you would have me to do? 
John moves in the text and he talks about the commands of God not being a burden. The victory is not won by my obeying commands. The victory is won by Christ taking my sin upon himself. Everyone who has been born of God conquers the world. This is the victory that has conquered the world, our faith. And John is saying to us, hold on to that. The ultimate victory in a world that seems to be full of losses for you is that Jesus wins. Is that Jesus wins. So in the moments for us when it seems as if the world is really throwing us a curveball or maybe even a slider, possibly a change-up. That's baseball. I've been learning it. (laughs) Jesus still wins. And the assurance that God offers us is is that truth. And to the church at Ephesus, Jesus, John says, he, he wins. Life is the victory. Verse 5. Who is the one who conquers the world but the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? Jesus wins and our victory is found in Him. John sets a contrast in the victory of the world and the victory of God that I don't want us to miss. The victory that conquered the world is the saving death of Jesus. The victory that overthrows sin and death and hell and the grave is that Jesus has died and it wasn't enough to stop him. And with this, we can see aspects about the life of Jesus, the person of Jesus, the crucified reality of of Jesus' resurrection that we don't want to miss. When we look at Jesus, we know that he wins because no other being loves like Jesus. No other person in all of creation is going to love you the way that Jesus ends like Jesus. Notice what you see in contrast when you look at the life of Jesus and the way that our world seems to express victory. When we look at the victory of Jesus, it is counterpoint to everything else that we see. Countercultural. The world wins by what? Fighting. Jesus wins by suffering. No one displays power the way that Jesus displayed power. Everyone else displays power by doing what? By crushing and killing. Jesus displays power by dying. One commentator says this, To believe anything less about Jesus is to believe in someone who does not have the ability to save us from the power of a godless world. To believe that Jesus is less than that will leave us lacking. The victor, verse 6, Jesus Christ, he is the one who came by water and by blood. Not by water only. This is John, again, pointing out that there were some who believed that the baptism of Jesus was enough. That he just came and appeared to be a man and was immersed. But by water and by blood. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three are in agreement. Now you may be thinking what I thought the 27 times I read through that verse. What in the world is John talking about? What we can know assurance-wise is that Jesus has testified in a way where we can hold on to Him because He's holding on to us. 
Keller says this, the central, not Helen, set on us. God has an unflinching love for those who belong to Him. Not wavered or undone by your sin, but held steady and safe by the death of Jesus in your place. What does it mean when He talks about water and blood? From my interaction with this passage and numerous readings, He's talking about really two things, baptism and death. Beginning of his mission, and what we would be, what some would believe to be the end. In John's gospel, when people did not accept Jesus, he would point them to miraculous signs, and the points of those signs were to, were to declare that Jesus was the sent one of God. There's debate between those who love Jesus. Well, consider his life. One of the first places that we interact with John in his Gospels, he is at the baptism of Jesus. And John was present at that when Christ was immersed. John was present at the death of Jesus, standing beside the mother of Jesus, saying, where Jesus, this is your son, this is your mother. John also says to us in chapter 16, verse 13, that he speaks of the Spirit. When he says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all of this. So you see water, blood, and spirit. All three are testifying, giving a testimony as to who this Jesus is. Why does this matter? Why should it matter to us? When we talk water, think about what, Jesus is, what John is saying to us. If we look at the life of Jesus and we see that his baptism was the beginning of his public mission, his declaration that he was going public, if you will, with the mission that God had given him, when we are aligning ourselves with his baptism, we are saying that his mission is my mission. If the mission of Jesus is to declare to a sin-filled, dark world that there is light and hope in the face of it, His mission is our mission. The mission of Jesus is your mission and it's mine. When we talk about His death and we have a conversation about the cross, what we are declaring is that his death is my death. Sin no longer has a hold of me. The presence of the Holy Spirit is affirming in us as believers that Christ sent the Spirit to be with his people. And that we are saying in response, that's who I have. The mission of the believer. The death of the believer. And the spirit-filled life of the believer are present here in this passage. And I would invite you to consider in your own life, is the mission of Jesus your mission? Do you align with the fact that his death was where he took your death upon himself? As a follower of Jesus, would you say that you walk with the Spirit of God? Is the Spirit, is Spirit present in you? 
Because we see that this is what Jesus is declaring. His life is our testimony. That's your story to tell. His life is God's testimony is greater. Because it is God's testimony that he has given about his son. God sent his son and what he says matters the most. The one who believes in the son of God has this testimony within himself. The one who does not believe. God has made him a liar. That's a pretty bold word that John happens to be using. But it's a necessary bold word. It is really acceptable for us to get caught in the mix of, and that's okay. Not to diminish or water down whatever background came into them coming to that conclusion. Whether it was familial or it was something that they came to in their study. But what John seems to be saying to us, not even seems, what he is saying to us. If you are in Christ, you are aligning with what God believes and affirms and declares. If you're not in Christ, you are a liar because you are saying that God is not telling the truth. Either He is God or you are. And that's the story that every one of us have been made part of. To live out the, the gospel, and that may be a word that you're, you're not quite sure what to do with, the good news of Jesus. But the weirdest thing about good news is for it to be good, it has to set itself apart from something that's bad. And the good news of Jesus is that in a world where we deserve death and sin and hell, Jesus offers life, he offers his spirit, And he offers eternity with him. That's what we're talking about. That's who we are as God's people. Verse 12. The one who has the Son has life. The one who does not have the Son of God does not have life. That we are very into the, the... in the world that would say, we like the things that Jesus says, but it's the rest of it. Well, Jesus is tied to everything that John says. The words of James are tied to the life that Jesus lived. The testimony of the Apostle Paul is a testimony of, of what he had experienced through the resurrected Christ. This book seems to be working together to tell us the story of Jesus as the only hope of the world. Verse 13 is this central verse. I don't want us to miss it. It's it's central to the whole understanding of the Scriptures. It's it's John coming alongside of what he said in, in his gospel. 
I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. So in John chapter 20, verse 30 and 31, John says, I'm writing in order for you to believe. And here he is saying to the church at Ephesus, who sit and look around and see people who have left. They've even seen people get sick. We know that people have died. He is looking to them in the suffering situation. In what seems to be an overwhelming scenario. And he is saying, I'm writing these things to you so you will not stop believing. When life is hard and people are difficult, don't stop believing. When things are wonderful and it seems as if you have overcome on your own, don't stop. Don't stop believing that our only life is found in his death. And our eternity is intertwined with Him. Would you to bow your heads with me this morning. If you've never placed your faith in Christ, this is a good day to do that. If you've never trusted in Jesus, Would you pray something to the effect of, Jesus, I need you because I cannot overcome my sin on my own. Jesus, I need you because life is in you and death is everywhere else. Jesus, I need you because I'm overwhelmed by my circumstances. But Jesus, I need you because... I want to place my trust in that nothing can overcome you. So Jesus, you take my sin. You just take it. I'm going through hard things and dealing with difficult people. Jesus, I hear and I see from this passage that my only hope is in you. So Jesus, you take my sin. And I want the life that John's writing about over and over and over in these verses. There's a possibility that you're here and you've never declared publicly that Jesus, that his mission is your mission. If you have com- you have questions about that, I'd love to chat with you about what we believe as Christians and what we believe at our church about immersion. We're going to take communion in a moment. If you're not a follower of Jesus in this space, I, I just I ask you to hold tight at your seat. Because this is something that we do, that we celebrate together, that we've been bound to love God by loving other people. And you're not in that place yet, and that's... You continue to work through that, but don't take of the table with us.
Father, in my heart, there are times when I think that I'm God for whatever reason. Through your death and in, in, in your resurrection, would you help us to know you and love you because you have known and loved us first? Father, would you help those who are struggling and suffering right now to not stop believing? We ask all this in your name, Lord Jesus. And all my friends, stand with me and we say, Amen. Amen. As we